I've been excited about the beginning of this series, and here we are in the first Sunday of August. Um, while I was growing up, I was taught that our solar system, including Earth, randomly was created about 4.5 billion years ago from uh, an explosion of gas and dust. And then about 3.8 billion years ago, non-living random molecules of carbon and of liquid water combined with some energy, they organized themselves into living organisms. Now, I was in school from kindergarten all the way to my high school graduation, which was just about 18,000 hours of school. That is just about going to the equivalent of going to school nonstop 24 hours a day for two years. I also went to church, but I only went to church about the equivalent of one summer, 24 hours a day, you know, one whole summer. That's the comparison. Now, you're probably a little similar to me, but with the church, my parents drug me to church three times a week. So if you only went one time a week, then you're looking at being in church for really just a little bit over a month, maybe just a month. I am grateful for the United States of America. I am grateful for my education that I received in public school. But my point is this. To the best of my memory, as best that I can remember, I never once had a single teacher tell me that they believed in God, the God of the Bible as the creator of our world and the sustainer of life. Now, if they did believe that, I'm not saying they didn't, but if they did believe that, they never taught that to me. Now, I was taught that in church, however, but for every one hour that I spent in church, I was in school for six hours. That's a big difference. So who had the most opportunity to shape my view of creation and my view of the world? I was taught that the world is billions of years old and it all started from nothing and that nothing exploded and after billions of years, we now have this, what we have today. That is pretty much the conventional belief. And it has been taught and accepted as fact. Now, even though we have never seen that happen, we've never seen anything be created from nothing, we've never seen life created from nothing, but almost all of us were taught that. Now, with this series, we are absolutely not fighting mad. We're not angry. Uh, we're, we're not upset or fighting science, or we're not in a battle with culture. We're just simply wanting this series to help fill in some information gaps. And with it, we're going to be using real science. We're going to be using real studies from real scientists. And we're simply saying this, hey, look what God has told us, what, what he's already revealed to us in his word, and then look around us, there are scientists who are interpreting the very same set of facts, but they're coming to very different conclusions. We're simply saying this, hey, look, look at these very same facts that everyone has all over the world, 
And we want to help you perhaps come to the conclusion where we can say, this, this really is a possibility, what we're talking about. Now, let me give you a disclaimer to kind of let you off the hook here a little bit. If you're new to Stuttgart Harvest Church or if you're just kind of checking things out, I want you to know this. You becoming a Christ follower and you following Jesus for the rest of your life does not hinge upon what you think about creation. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with me about the age of the earth. You don't even have to agree with me about the flood. Jesus did not say, Whosoever believes in me and admits that the earth is much younger than the textbooks say, and whosoever believes in the flood and Noah and the ark shall have eternal life. Jesus never said that. But do you know what he did say? This is perhaps the greatest reason to trust this whole flood biography. Because Jesus said that it happened. Now, one day when Jesus was talking about the end times, here's what he said in Matthew chapter 24. Follow along with me. It'll be on the screen. When the Son of Man returns, now here's what he's meaning by that. Jesus is speaking of the last time, this last time that he is going to come back to the earth. And he's going to begin this process of making everything perfect. And then it's going to, once he gets it to the perfect state, it's going to remain perfect for eternity. So this is what Jesus said. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Now just to give you reference, because they may be having trouble finding it in the script, this is Matthew chapter 34, starting with verse 37. There we go. Thank you, McKinley. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. All right? So this is what Jesus is saying. When I come back, it's going to be very similar to what happened to Noah in Noah's day. In those days, he says in verse 38, before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered this boat, his boat, verse 39. People didn't realize that they were what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And then here's what Jesus says, that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. And he's talking about when he comes back. Now, if Jesus lied about what he just said there about Noah, then that means Jesus is a sinner and therefore could not be God. But Jesus is not a sinner. Jesus is not a liar. Perhaps the greatest reason to believe in the flood is just simply that Jesus believed in it because, honestly, he was there. He's God. Now, why would we take five precious weeks out of our teaching calendar of 52 weeks to talk about this topic? And here's why. We want you to know that God is trustworthy. We want you to know that God doesn't lie. And we want you to know that God is big enough to deliver to us whatever message he wants us to have and the information to the level that he wants us to have it, he can get that to us. And we can trust that God has told us the truth in his words. Now with this series, we just simply want to replace some of the doubt that you might have and we want to replace that with peace. 
by letting you know that the conventional view that we have been taught is not the only scientific view out there. Because many of us, if we had to choose today, right now at this moment, many of us would say, I'm going to have to go with science in the textbook. I'm going to have to go with those facts because they told me as I was growing up that science and the Bible don't line up. And if I can't trust God to tell me the truth, then who can I trust? I can't trust him at all if that's the case. Well, by the end of this series, we just really want you to be able to say this. Oh, Harley and Cole, I, I, I get it. I, I see how this could be possible. And in a world where they say that it is impossible the mere thought of it being a real possibility can bring you so much peace and really a, a very real step toward a deeper faith and a trust in God today we're simply going to lay the groundwork for where we're going to be going and we're going to follow that over the next few weeks with several weeks of science and the Bible. Today we're laying the groundwork. Now as part of that, McKinley's going to help me. I want to teach you a new word. It's going to be on the screen. Thank you, McKinley. Um, that word is called epoch. All right? Epoch. Now here's what that word means. It's not a made-up word. It's a real word. It's a period of time in history that is typically marked by notable events or by very um, very particular characteristics, a very set time in history, a beginning and an end. But it's a time that is so different and it is so unique that if you were not alive living to experience that time, that you would have no way of really knowing what it was like and what was happening. Now, parts of that time can be described to us by someone who was there, but that's it. They can just describe it to us. Now, God's Word gives us some anchor points. We don't have all the answers of history with science or geology or biology. We don't have all the answers. But God does fill in some blanks for us with some anchor points. He gives us some places to hold on to. Now, with those acre points, um, the truth is we don't even have all the information about those anchor points. We don't have all of that information. But we do have some information. God gives us some hints of things that happened that we were not here to see. And in those periods of time, we can call each of those periods an epoch. For example, let me give you our first epoch this morning, this period of time. We're going to call this the creation epoch. It's the week of creation. Six days God created everything, and then on that last day, the seventh day, he rested. Now, we, obviously, we were not here for that. God was there for it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God was there and you know who else was there? The angels were told in the book of Job. The angels were there watching on. So the only 
beings that were there to see creation was God and the angels. Now, we can't even fathom, really, the reality of creation, what it must have been like to hear God's voice speak matter into existence. On the very first day, light exploding into brightness. What was that like? We don't have a a clue of what that was like. On the second day, God separated the waters from the atmosphere from the waters of the earth that covered the earth. And in 24 hours of that day, there was sky, there was space, and there was outer space. And it was all separated from this giant globe of water called the earth. And then came the third day. I said the second, the third day. The third day, as only a creator can do, God calls land out of the water. He calls land out of the water in a cataclysmic, mighty, thunderous way. It erupts out of the seas and it forces the water back. Now, it is very possible. Again, we were not here. We didn't see this happen. But it's very possible that God called up one giant continent one giant massive continent of land and geologists here's a picture of what that could have been geologists call that today as they uh, theorize about that they call that the continent Pangea and it's actually made up as you look at that it's made up of all the continents of the world right now but they are all together as one giant continent again we weren't there but it seems to be the reality. And it is upon that dry land, and it is upon within those oceans that God continues creation for another three days. And he ends his creation part on the sixth day, and he creates man. He creates Adam. Now, we weren't there. We didn't see it. We didn't experience it. But he gives us this poetic historical anchor point that we have in the book of Genesis to see it. We can't really understand creation, and we really can't visualize what happened. And guess what? Neither could Adam. He couldn't visualize it either. Why? Because it was a creation epoch, a very specific time period that if you were not alive during it to watch it and see it and experience it you can't really understand what it was all about adam soon comes eve eve was not there for creation so adam didn't understand it really eve did not really understand it even though they were going to be living upon that very dry land that god called out of the water they had no idea what it was like before they arrived. The creation experience was so vastly different than their reality that they were living, they could not even conceive what it was like for God to speak and for the continent to emerge out of the water. They had no idea. It's so vastly different. Now, that is the creation epoch, a very specific period of history marked by notable events and particular characteristics. Anyone who was not there can't truly comprehend what that was like, but we can guess, but we don't really know. 
there's one very special place on that creation, that, uh, that land that God called up out of the water, and he, it's called the Garden of Eden. And that is the place where God placed Adam and Eve. That's our second epoch. We're going to call that the Eden Epoch. So anyone who wasn't around for creation really cannot understand or comprehend that creation. But anyone who didn't live in the Garden of Eden can't really understand or comprehend that, that Garden of Eden epoch. It's a very specific period of time. We can't understand Eden because we weren't there. We can only guess what it might have been like. God tells us it was a place of perfection. We never experienced, we have never experienced perfection. We've never experienced perfect relationships with God the way Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. We have never experienced a perfect relationship with each other the way Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with each other. We've never experienced a perfect relationship with creation. We never have. We've never experienced it the way Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship even with creation. We've never experienced any of that. So, we can't understand that epoch of time called the Eden epoch you know who can understand that eden epoch that period of time god can understand it the angels can understand it and adam and eve they know what perfection is like because they were there guess who else could not understand that period of time the children of adam and eve could not understand what it was like. We don't know how long that was. Now, we know how long the creation epoch was. We're told it was seven days, six days of creating, one day of rest. And then we move into the Garden of Eden epoch. We don't know how long that was. We just simply know that it ended before Adam and Eve had any children. So it was probably a pretty short period of time. But it ended before they had children. We do know how the Garden of Eden epoch ended because we have one of those anchor points in Scripture. Here's how it ended. That, that ended when Adam and Eve sinned. That was the moment it ended. That perfect creation in the Garden of Eden and that Eden epoch was no longer perfect. Sin and the curse of sin, it breaks all of mankind. It breaks all of his relationships. It breaks all of creation, literally. All of creation and Adam and now Eve as well, they enter into a new epoch. And let's call this one the broken creation epoch. Adam and Eve, well, they start a family. But their kids have no idea no idea about the epochs which came before. They have no idea because they were not there. They were born into this epoch, the broken creation epoch. Now they can be told 
about the Garden of Eden because Adam and Eve were there. They can be told about that, but they don't really know what it was like to experience that for themselves. I'm talking about their children. When creation broke, it broke big time. And it impacted the very DNA and the instincts of animals. I mean, it impacted everything. Some of the animals were turned from plant-eating animals into meat-eating animals. That means they went from eating things that had no consciousness at all, no awareness, these things called plants, and they went from that to eating things that had feelings and emotions and pain transmitters. Creation in that moment became very hard and, and, and often heartless and violent. This is the only world that Adam's kids knew. It was a hard life, often a painful existence having to work every single day just to survive, living with broken relationships with other people, broken relationships with God, broken relationships with creation itself, all around them was just brokenness. It was so often very painful, so often very scary. I, I mean, can you imagine living with the presence of dinosaurs? We've seen Jurassic Park. <laughs> it doesn't seem very pretty. I mean, we think of the venomous snakes and the irritating mosquitoes, uh, maybe, maybe lurking bears out in the bushes, out somewhere in the woods, mountain lions, bobcats. That's scary enough for us. But after creation broke, things got really scary, and they got very, as the Scripture says, violent. Now Adam and Eve had a son, one, one of their children. His name was Seth. We believe Seth was the last child of Adam and Eve to die. By the time Seth dies, just a mere 14 years later, this man named Noah is born. Now creation was getting more and more scary more and more violent in Noah's day. We're going to go to Scripture here. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought, talking about humans, everything they thought, everything they imagined was consistently and totally evil. It was a level of evil that we cannot even imagine today. We have not lived in a time that was so evil that God chose to completely destroy his creation. Now we know things are evil today. We know that things are violent today. We know there's wickedness. And there's evil because we know it's inside of us. And we feel that we have experienced it from other people as well because it's in others. And we see it in them and we experience it from them. We see human 
against animal. We see animal against human. We see human against creation. Creation against human. Human against human. Human skin shade against human skin shade. We see rape and murder. And we see the rape and the murder of children. And violence. And hate. We see that all around us today. And as bad as it is right now, it is not to the level of evil during the days of Noah. Which reached superhuman, supernatural evil proportions that we can't even imagine. Why can't we imagine it? Because we weren't there. You know, the Bible speaks of some sort of supernatural, superhuman, fallen race of people. They speculate maybe it was a hybrid, a tainted race from fallen angels, so demonic angels who had babies with human wives. And we can only imagine, if that's the case, that they had this supernatural kind of evil. And again, we weren't there. And again, we don't have the full information. We just have a few hints of that in Scripture. And so here we are with Noah. It's only a thousand years after creation. And God is looking at what has become of His creation. And He establishes that everyone was evil. Everyone was living apart from God. And it broke the heart of God to see how evil everything had become. Let's go to verse 6. So the Lord was sorry that He had made them. He was sorry that He put them on the earth. It broke His heart. Can you imagine the heart of God breaking? That's what is said happened right here. It broke the heart of God. That's what we're told. We're told that it literally, not literally, it figuratively broke the heart of God. Now here's what we need to understand about that. God cannot be surprised. So God, because God knows all. He sees around the corner. He has a different view than we do. He's outside of time. God knew this was coming. But God experienced hurt and he experienced regret over what was happening. The heart of God is described by God as breaking. It was building. The hurt was growing. Because of the growing evil of creation. The very creation that he loved. Verse 7 says, And the Lord said, I will wipe, remember that word, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Now that word wipe, there's a Hebrew translation. The English word they've chosen there is wipe. But the meaning, the depth of the meaning of that one word, wipe, it means this. That God is going to erase, that's what the word means, erase, 
to wipe, to erase by means of water. Washing it, wiping it, washing it with water. That's what that means. God is saying, I'm going to wipe it, wash it clean. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wash it down, wipe it down, wash it clean, and I'm going to start over. He goes on, yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. Verse 8, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Oh my goodness. If there was one phrase from the old covenant that I could say, oh, I would love that to, to be part of my life, I would love God to be able to say he found favor with me. There's one single right now in Noah's day, there's one single bright spot in this very dark, violent world. Verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. It says, Noah was a righteous man. Now that simply in the Hebrew means the only blameless person now let's, uh, uh, the, who was living on earth at the time. Now that word blameless, don't mistake that for sinless. That word blameless in the Hebrew, this word that the English they have used for blameless, here's what that word means. Noah was the only one free from defect. And scholars wonder, could that possibly mean that by this time, Noah was the only one who was not tainted, scalded, infected by this, this, hum, uh, this, this potentially hybrid human race of people. Was Noah, possibly in his family, the only ones not tainted? In other words, they were free of defect. The only ones blameless living on the earth. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Oh, there's another phrase. A phrase that I just crave from the old covenant that could be said of me in these new covenant times, that I walked close in close fellowship with God. And I hope that that's the cry of your heart as well. Verse 10. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 11. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt. That word corrupt, it means ruined. God saw that the earth had become corrupt or ruined and was filled with violence. Verse 12. God observed all this corruption, all of this ruin. God observed all of this ruin in the world for everyone on the earth was corrupt. That word again, ruined. He's using that word a lot. For everyone on the earth was ruined. Verse 13, so God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy. Pause for a moment. That word that in English we have chosen to translate that as destroy, it's the very same word, ruin. It's the same word. God is saying, I have decided to ruin all living creatures. 
Here's how that reads in a sentence for our ears. God is saying to creation and to all living humans at that time, what you have ruined, I, as God, am going to ruin. Let me say that again. What you have ruined, I am going to ruin. He says, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out. Remember that word? Wipe? To wash clean with water them all out. And notice this, along with the earth. Not just the living organisms, humans and creatures, but he is going to wash clean with water the earth. Ruined, spoiled, corrupt. Not just people, not just creatures, all of creation, even the earth, are going to be wiped clean with water. God is going to do that. All, all are going to be ruined. Now that word ruin that is being used, it's also used in another place, the very same word. When God is speaking through one of the prophets, Jeremiah, Here's what is said. Jeremiah, he's talking about this pottery that's being made, and the pottery has become ruined. It didn't turn out the way the potter wanted it. And so he, he takes what was being made and pounds it out again into the raw clay material, and he reworks it, and he starts over. Here's how that reads in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 4. The prophet says, but the jar he was making, the jar the potter was making, did not turn out how he had hoped. What happened with God's creation had not turned out how, what, how he had hoped. So he crushed it. There's that word. He ruined it. He crushed it into a lump of clay Again, all over this new, fresh, now lump of clay and started over. The potter ruined it so he could start over. Same word that God is saying, I'm going to ruin creation. What you have ruined, I am going to ruin. Now God goes on and has a conversation. Let's skip down to verse 14. He tells Noah to build a boat. Now, this English translation has used the word boat. Now, boat is a word that we use a lot, right? We use that all the time. The, the word is so much more often translated. You know the word. What did Noah build? What was it? The ark, right? Yes. Noah built the ark. That's the word that is most often used. And I love that word as a choice here instead of boat. And here's why. I love that word because it is th that word that is used here that in this is translated boat, but in most translations translated ark, I love that because it's a weird word that we don't use a lot, and it was a weird word then as well. 
It is only used in two places in the entire Old Covenant. It is used in the biography of the flood where Noah built this ark. Yes, it was a boat, but it's called, very special word, this ark, used in one other place. Only one other place. And it is used in the biography of Moses. When Moses was a mere infant, a baby, his mother fashioned, you remember what she made? A basket, didn't she? But do you know what word is used? His mother built an ark. That's the only other place it's used. It's used with Noah to save Noah and his family to start over. And it's used one more time with Moses. Moses was placed in this ark. That's the word. This ark. This basket. And Noah was saved from destruction. Moses was saved from destruction. So God says, I want you to build this boat, this ark. And he tells him, from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out, and then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. God goes on. He says, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living Thing that breathes, everything on earth will die. Verse 18, but I will confirm my covenant with you. He's speaking to Noah. So enter the boat, you, your wife, your sons, and their wives. Verse 19, bring, every, uh, bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep alive during the flood. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because we just have an anchor point here. We don't have all the details. We're not sure how this happened. But we find it very interesting that God said bring a pair of every kind. It's quite possible that by kind, God may not have been referring to every species, right? It, it, it may be kinds, because kinds are different than the very minutia of a species. Kinds could be like a pair of dogs, but not every species of dogs. Kinds could even be a pair of cats, but not every species of cats. It could be a pair of horses, but not every species of horses. Probably it's quite possible that from our own scientific classification systems that he would have had pairs from maybe the level of the family or the genus level, but quite possibly not the species level. Obviously, we're speculating because we weren't there. And we just have this mentioned in Scripture. We're not, we're not sure. We're speculating. We were not there. It's an epoch that we can only speculate about. Take the information we do have as an anchor point. 
God used the word kinds. That's how he described it to us, and that's what we have. But how is Noah going to gather up all these kinds of animals? Is he going to have to go out and trap them? Is he going to have to kind of lasso them and, and, and drag them in? Genesis tells us in, in verse 20, pairs of every kind, every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground, and here's what happens. They will come to you to be kept alive. Noah doesn't have to trap any of them. He doesn't have to go out and gather any of them. God supernaturally is going to send those pairs to him. And after everything that God tells Noah, several times the, um, God stops to remind us of this. After every set of instruction that God gives to Noah, we hear a verse that's like this, verse 22. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. That's another phrase from the old covenant that I so desire to be true of my life in these new covenant times that I would do everything exactly as God has commanded. Verse 1. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat, go into the ark, with all your family. For among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Remember, you alone, he's saying, are lawful. So when everything was ready, Noah and his family enter into the ark, and God closes the door. And that's where we end for today. God, the creator of all. That's what we're left with. God, the creator of, of all. And he is on the verge of starting over. He is ready to wipe, to wash everything clean with water. He's taking his creation like a ball of clay and he's reworking it, ruining it, reworking it into a fresh lump of clay so that he can start again. And we can see that God never leaves the rebuilding process. God is in the business of rebuilding and rebuilding lives. He did it here with Noah's life, and he is still rebuilding lives today. In fact, even at this very moment, he's rebuilding lives. And we end with this. Do you trust him to rebuild you? Do you trust him to make your life new. So take this with you today. God created everything perfect. Our sin ruined creation. And it was so bad that God wiped it clean with water. And Jesus said, one day, one day I'm coming back and I'm going to clean it 
one final time. And when it is perfected at that point, it will remain perfect for eternity. I leave you with that today. As a next step, these are two big next steps. Easy to do, but it's going to take some time. I hope that you are intrigued into taking some deeper study with us. If you are, then there's one of two things I want to encourage you to listen to. And I have links for those on the online worship guide all the way down at the very bottom of that worship guide. Just go to our website, stuckoutharvestchurch.com. When it says online worship guide, click that. Go all the way down to the bottom. And here are the two next steps. Choose one or two, one of these, at, at least, is my hope that you have been encouraged for deeper study. The first one is this. Would you go, possibly, if we, if we heightened your, your curiosity about that creation epoch, would you go to the series Origins? It's a seven-week series. We take creation one day at a time, and for about an hour, we, uh, each time we talk about that day of creation, and we use a lot of science in there with it. You, it's a great series. If you have been encouraged to check out that creation epoch, would you go listen to Origins? There's a link on the online worship guide. Secondly, you might choose to say, you know what? When you talk about God making me new, I really want God to make me new. And if that's you, then we have a five-part series I really would love you to listen to. If you'll follow that link, that series is called The Best You Now. Five-part series. Listen to it on your way to work, on your way home. Listen to it when you're on the treadmill. That's what I usually do. Just listen to it, please. Listen to one of those two. Or you might say, Harley, none of those interest me. We'll come back next week. But dig through all of our SoundCloud stuff because something's there that will interest you. I hope it's one of these two because that will better prepare you for where we're headed, where we're headed the next four weeks. 